So this morning, uh, I'm going to be finishing up a sermon series I've been doing for the last 10 weeks that I've called Justice, looking at what the Bible has to say about justice, using that to also evaluate uh, the messages out there in our culture on the topic of justice. So basically what I like to do at the end of long sermon series like this is do a shorter summary sermon and then open it up for testimonies to give you an opportunity to share ways that... Uh, ways that God has spoken to you about justice, ways he's used you in that area, things you've learned over the last 10 weeks. Um, I put an insert in your bulletin with a summary of all the sermons that I had also sent out during the week to hopefully those of you who are on our email list. And so I would encourage you just to prayerfully consider coming up and sharing. It's always an adventure doing open mic, of course, and letting anyone come up. But uh, God always seems to use it well when other people besides myself get up and share. Um, You know, this is something that I started thinking about preaching on back um, in the spring, I had certainly noticed an increase over the last year in our world's obsession and, and, and focus on justice and social justice. Um, and there were elements of that that were really encouraging. I was really encouraged by the passion that people had to make our world a better place, um, the desire to lift up those who were perceived as marginalized or oppressed. I mean, a lot of that was really encouraging. But there were also elements of that that feel, felt to me very misguided and dangerous and did not feel in line with um, biblical concepts of justice. And so back in the spring, I really wanted to preach a series on that, but I was overwhelmed by how large the topic was and how many uh, aspects I I felt like I needed to address. And so I couldn't quite pull it together for the spring or the summer. And then the fall, I still didn't feel ready, but I was like, you know what, I just got to dive in and just just try to preach on this. Um, And so now that I've spent 10 weeks on the topic, I want to just try to summarize what it was in, in particular that, for me, felt like, you know what, this is what I see out there in the modern justice movements that is just off a little bit, a little bit misguided, a little bit dangerous. And then what is it that God's call for justice? What's his heart for justice all about? So I want to just briefly summarize four things that I saw that seem wrong with the modern justice movements. First of all, injustice is not just something out there. As much as we might like to think of ourselves as kind of the good people crusading against injustice— Right, that we're on the right side of history and we're going against the forces of injustice and evil out there, trying to take down the unjust systems and deal with the corrupt leaders. It's not reality. The reality is that the line between good and evil goes through every human heart and that injustice is not just something out there. It's something in each of us, right? It's not just something out there that needs to be warned against, that we are all broken, twisted, and prone to self-centeredness and bias and injustice in our own hearts. Think of what Jesus said in Mark 7, 20 to 23. Jesus went on, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from within and make a man unclean. It's Jesus saying, The problem is just not out there somewhere that we all need to, all us good people need to go and battle against. But the problem starts in here, that all of this evil and injustice you see comes out of the hearts of human men and women. And there's lots of reasons people don't want to look at themselves in the mirror first. You know, some people just don't like the concept of sin, want to think of themselves as, you know, self-created masterpieces. Maybe some people are just blind to it. They just can't see their own injustice, their own biases, their own issues. Others just like to feel righteous, you know, compare themselves to others and feel good about themselves by looking down at others. But unless you start with addressing what's going on in your own heart, 
you're only going to replace one type of injustice with another type of injustice. One type of power differential with another type of power differential. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Remember, he put it this way, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's Jesus saying, yes, you look out there and you think you see clearly all the things that are wrong in the world and with other people. But he says, you're blind. You're missing that you've got a plank in your own eye that's distorting your vision. And if you want to do something about the injustice out there and the corruption out there and the evil out there, first begin by addressing yourself, taking the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly. Second thing that I feel like is wrong with a lot of the modern justice movements is that justice and injustice are defined by God, not by personal preference. Where do you get your conception of what is right and what is wrong, what is just and what is unjust, what is good and what is evil. If you take away God, you remove God, it just becomes a matter of personal preference. I think this is wrong, I think this is right. And then whoever can shout the loudest or shame the other the most gets to win, gets to define what right and wrong is. It's like the book of Judges. Remember this? In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. It's a great line that sums up a lot of what is going on in our culture. You take away God and it becomes up for grabs. It becomes a matter of personal preference. Instead of God being the creator who defines us and defines what is good and what is bad, what is just and what is unjust, we get to decide what's just and unjust. We get to decide what's right and wrong. But when the world becomes about personal preference, it leads to chaos, as I think you are seeing around us. It leads to internal chaos. Instead of living based on what God says I am, I'm living based on what I think I am. Even though my desires and my wants and my beliefs change over time, I'm trying to define myself, trying to look within and give expression to that and expect everyone to approve who I am and what I say about myself. It's such a fragile way of living to care that much of what other people think about you. No wonder the rates of anxiety and depression are just going up and up and up as people get rid of what God says about them and care so much about what the world says about them. Try to find their own identity. Try to find their own self-worth apart from God who created them and loves them. And it leads to cultural chaos as well. We're seeing cultural confusion all around us as people just war and compete with their preferences. People think this is right. Another group of people thinks this is right. And they just shout at each other until one wins. Justice and injustice are defined by God, not by personal preference. You're never going to find justice and peace and unity just by going based on personal preference and taking God out of the picture. Third thing that I see is wrong is that tribalism leads to division, not unity and justice. Many modern justice movements are all about dividing people into groups, if you haven't noticed, right? Let's divide everyone into groups based on what you look like, what's your ethnicity, what's your gender, you know, what's your sexual orientation, how able or disabled you are. Let's divide everyone into groups. Let's treat everyone as examples of that group, stereotyping everybody, reducing everyone to you are a white man, right? Or you are a black woman or whatever, as if that is who you are and dividing people and thinking that somehow that's going to lead to justice and peace and unity. 
if we just divide people into categories when all along the Bible offers a much better way. Galatians 3, 28, 29 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The gospel is that Jesus died for every single human being and offers them a way to come into God's presence, into a relationship with God. And it doesn't depend on your social status. It doesn't depend on your gender. It doesn't depend on your ethnicity. It's open to everyone. And here Paul says, in Christ, all the barriers fall down. It doesn't matter what, whether you're male or female, Jew or Greek, slave nor free, none of that matters anymore. You are all one in Christ. In Christ, in other words, we emphasize what unites us, that we are a family of God, that all the things out in the world that divide people in the body of Christ fall down, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what leads to unity. That is what leads to division. A gospel that is open to every single human being by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a gospel, it's a message that doesn't cause anyone to look down on anyone else because it's all a gift of God's grace, not by works, not by anything we've done to earn it. And so again, I want to encourage you, as you have a heart for justice or as you evaluate messages that are out there, any message, any movement that seeks to divide people into categories and tells you that that is how you're going to find justice and peace and unity is wrong. It's not going to lead to justice and peace and unity. It's going to lead to division. The fourth thing is this. The fourth problem I see is that salvation is by grace, not by being good enough. One of the sermons during the series, I took about probably five minutes and listed all the justice issues that are out there. It was pretty overwhelming to kind of list them all out there, to recognize, you know, whether it's from clean water or economic injustice or racial injustice or whatever it might be. Like you can go on and on and on and on and on with all the issues that are out there. One of my favorite quotes from the series came from the uh, NBC show, The Good Place, where Michael, played by Ted Danson, said this, these days just buying a tomato at a grocery store means that you are unwittingly supporting toxic pesticides, exploiting labor, and contributing to global warming. I mean, right? If you stop and you think about it, it's like even the clothes you're wearing, like, I don't know if this was made in a sweatshop by someone in China. I don't know if I'm contributing to modern-day slavery by the shoes I'm wearing, by the car I'm driving. I mean, it's overwhelming the amount of injustice and justice issues out there and how just by breathing, just by driving to church, you may be contributing to that. It's overwhelming. And if you think, you know what, I'm a social justice warrior. I'm going to be, you know, somehow you're going to get your good enough your identity, your self-worth from being on the right side of all this justice issues, you're going to find quickly that you can never measure up. You're going to burn yourself out trying. Or you're going to try to lower the bar and say, well, you know, as long as I am better than these people, then I'm okay. But there's a better way. The Bible gives us this. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved. What makes you right with God? It's grace. It's a gift of God. Through faith, this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And then he goes on to say, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It says your self-worth is not a matter of your performance, it's not a matter of how good you think you are, how good other people think you are. You were never good enough, you can't measure up. Injustice is in your own heart, it's not just out there. 
But Jesus died for you. He lived the perfect life you could not live. He died a sacrificial death on the cross in your place and offers you forgiveness so that you're good enough for God because of Jesus. You don't need to try to achieve it. And now he says, now go out and do the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. Now go out and seek justice. Now go out and love your neighbor. Now that you're saved by grace, not to earn it, not to achieve it, but because you've been saved. It's the gospel that empowers us, keeps us from burning out as we trust in what Jesus has done, in the Holy Spirit that he's given us, in the power of the Spirit, knowing that in the final end, he's going to make an end to injustice in the end. So again, I want to encourage you, as you develop this heart for justice, as you look out in the world and the messages out there, keep these things in mind, please. That injustice is not just something out there that the good people fight against. It's in our own hearts. And unless we take the plank out of our own eye first, we're not going to see clearly. We're just going to replace one type of injustice with another type of injustice. Secondly, that justice and injustice, right and wrong, good and bad, it's defined by God. He's the creator. If we try to define it, we're going to make a mess. It's going to be chaos. It's going to be one group trying to shout down another group. The third is that any movement that seeks to divide people into categories is going to lead not to unity and peace and justice, but it's going to lead to hatred and injustice. There's a better way. It's found in the gospel. And then fourthly, salvation is by grace. It's not by being good enough. You're going to burn yourself out if you try to address every justice issue apart from the gospel. The call to justice, biblically speaking, is to love like Jesus loved. To become like broken bread and poured out wine. To sacrifice ourselves for others. To love someone means to see every single human being as created in the image of God. Why is anyone worth anything? Because they're all image bearers. Because as Jesus said in the parable, the sheep and the goats, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. Jesus in disguise, as you look at that poor person, as you look at the person in need, that is Jesus in disguise. Saying, whatever you do to them, you do to me. They were all created in the image of God. You want to seek justice, start there by recognizing that every human being is made in the image of God. Love them as Jesus has loved you. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan we looked at. It teaches that loving our neighbor means this, being willing to inconvenience yourself, risk your own safety, and bear the cost for anyone who is in need, even your enemy. I mean, that is worth reflecting on, the high call to love. Again, if, if you think it's all about trying harder to be good enough, you're never going to be able to measure up to this. Because this is the call of love, according to Jesus, according to the parable of the Good Samaritan, being willing to inconvenience yourself, risk your own safety, and bear the cost for anyone who is in need, even your enemy. That is where life and joy and fulfillment is found. Can I encourage you, again, Life and joy and fulfillment is not found in just living for yourself, living for your own comfort. It is found in doing for others, in loving others, in sacrificing for others, in lifting others up. It is painful to do that. It is costly to do that. It is not glamorous to do that. But that is where life is found. That is where fulfillment is found. That is what we were created for, the good works we were created for, to follow Jesus in laying down our life in love for others for our family, for our church family, for neighbors, for friends, for even our enemies. 
That's where the greatest joy and fulfillment and purpose and reward is found. Because remember, it all matters eternally. He said, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It all matters eternally because of Jesus. It's overwhelming to look at all the issues out there and all the ways that we can join in this fight against injustice. We're not meant to do it alone. This is why every week I invited people up to share or I, I highlighted different ministries and missions that are involved in different aspects of work for justice in the name of Jesus. Because we can't do this alone. We need to, to do this together. Amen? We need to join together and support each other and encourage each other to love our neighbor, to seek justice Some people out there are devoted to people who are in nursing homes. Praise God for them. Some people are out there all about foster care and adoption. Praise God for them. Some people are out there trying to feed the hungry. Praise God for them. Some people are fighting sex trafficking, the trafficking of children. Praise God for them. Some people are out there working to make sure people have clean drinking water. Praise God for them. Some people are making sure that the Bible is translated into languages and brought to the ends of the earth. For those who don't know God's word, praise God for them. We can't do it all ourselves, but we can encourage and work with each other to love our neighbor, to seek justice to the ends of the world. What part is God calling you to play in that? So I am going to, at this time, sit down, and we're going to open this up for an opportunity for testimonies from you. I want to encourage you again. First of all, be brief so we can give an opportunity for others to share. Secondly, again, as I've said in the beginning of all my sermons, this is not meant to be a political sermon series, so do your best to avoid getting into things that are political in nature, but instead focusing on the kingdom of God and what Jesus' call is for us. Um, So I'm going to ask Gordon Lawrence to come up first. I'd ask him to come up first and share, and so I'll Turn the mic over to Gordon. And then after Gordon is done, uh, there'll be an opportunity for anyone else who wants to come up and share. Over the last few weeks, Eric has mentioned uh, Micah 6.8 several times. I think it's about 60 years ago, soon after, not long after I became a Christian, that this became a key verse for me and sort of a life verse. And it says, He has shown your people what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Over the last 60 years, I've sort of struggled with what does it mean Or what does a life look like living justice? What does living a life of mercy look like? What does it look like to walk humbly with your God? You know, I know what it means in my head. But what does it mean in hands and feet and body and soul? What does it really mean to live a life of justice? Eric actually asked me to speak a little bit about prisons uh, this morning. I started going into prison about 18 years ago, into Connecticut prisons. I'd visit, usually it was once a week, sometimes it would be twice a week, and and I've been doing it for that, that time. That is until March of last year. 
March of last year, I was in prison, and suddenly they closed our prisons to all visitors for the reasons you're uh, familiar with. I may have been the last person who was in prison visiting. So what I say may be a little bit out of date, but maybe it would help you if anyone here might be interested in getting involved in prison ministry. I was involved in alpha programs and other similar programs, introducing people to Christ, talking about Christian discipleship, group programs, and also I was involved in one-on-one mentoring with inmates in prison. When I, in, when I mentored one-on-one, we, we'd talk about how you, they could reintegrate into society, and often we'd use actually the Sermon on the Mount, go through the Sermon on the Mount, how to live. Eighteen years ago, when I first started going into prison, there was over, well over 20,000 people in Connecticut prisons at any one time. That number has steadily declined over the years, And then during the COVID outbreak, it's dropped by many thousands during the last few months. Until I checked yesterday, there's currently 9,391 incarcerated in our prison. So it's dropped well over half in the time that I've been involved. I think there's three reasons for this dropping off in numbers. The first is there has been some decline in crime in Connecticut. Secondly, I think there's a greater willingness to find alternatives to just dumping people in prison. And thirdly, I think there's less willingness to dump people back in prison for minor infractions of parole. Or in some cases, no infraction at all. It's simply a person in the wrong place at the right time, or the wrong time, is just sent back to prison even though they're on parole. And the parole numbers have dropped by two-thirds over the last uh, couple of years. As a result of this, the profile of people currently in prison has changed. There used to be over half the prison population were there for breaches of parole. Now there's more serious crimes. In fact, I believe it's murder is the number one crime of people now in prison in Connecticut. And what has happened is that all the lower-level prisons in Connecticut have been closed. And in Connecticut, we have a prison system. There's a federal system that I know nothing about. There's a state system, and the state system has five levels And there's a different treatment of inmates at each level. And there's different opportunities for people to minister at each level. And the control of us who have volunteered has been very different, uh, depending on the level of the prison that you're involved in. And so I don't know exactly what the opportunities will be once we're free to go back into prison and volunteer. I think of a man I met some years ago who was in prison 
for eight months for a traffic offence. I assume it was a pretty minor offence. At that time, sending a person to prison for eight months, it was a pretty minor offence. And he admitted that he'd argued with police, he'd been stupid, he accepted his sentence. What he couldn't accept and what he was angry about was that it took five years for his case to be heard. He said, how, do, how could I get a job waiting? How could I carry on with my life for five years? Our system priorities prioritizes serious crime. And so a serious offense, you all appear in court pretty soon. A more serious offense, uh, less, you're, you can wait for years before you're eventually you're, you're heard. And these minor cases are just put back for long periods. Now I understand, my understanding of the Old Testament principle of an eye and eye, for an eye, is that it limits punishment. Biblical justice limits punishment to no more than the offense that was committed. So to me, to put a man's life on hold for five years for an offense that warranted eight months in prison, that's injustice. And I mention this because we're members of this society. We have input into this society. And I feel we should be concerned about our entire justice system. Something that shocked me when I first went into prison was that the population seemed to be overwhelmingly people of color, and in some cases, Hispanic. And I checked the figures, and it was well over 50% of the prison population at that time were, were people of uh, color, African-Americans. Today, and I checked again yesterday, over 70% of the population of Connecticut prisons are people who are African-American or Hispanic. I began to understand as I listened to people why there was this strange imbalance in our, in our prison system. Over the last few weeks, Eric has covered justice and justice movements. And he's mentioned the Black Lives Matter movement. And I feel at times it's been easy to be a little bit academic when considering some of these movements. Maybe some of those involved have motiv motivations that we might question. But the reality is there are real issues that people raise. And, the real, and one of the issues is that people who look like me, people who don't look like me, have a much harder time when they come up against the criminal justice system in our country. And actually, particularly in this state, that's what I'm aware of. 
And it seems to me that biblical justice is not about the oppressed, marginalized, or disadvantaged speaking up and acting in their own defense. It's about the privileged people like me speaking up in the defense of and acting on behalf of the oppressed, marginalized, and disadvantaged. And I ask myself, do I shirk my responsibility in that respect? The Bible talks uh, about justice as how we treat widows, orphans, and aliens, symbolizing the people who have no voice. And I ask myself, do I speak up for the voiceless? As I referred to earlier on, I don't know exactly what the opportunities are going to be for volunteers in prison once prisons are open again for us to volunteer in. But I am concerned for various reasons that the mentoring program that I was involved in will not restart. I do know the prison that I worked in uh, last March has since been closed. But my hope is that we as a church, even if I'm not able to volunteer, even that we as a church will not forget those who are in prison. We will, as it says in Hebrews 13, continue to remember those in prison as if you're together with them in prison. There are believers in prison, some who were believers when they went into prison, some who have become believers. And, I under, and for reasons I don't understand, it seems that cultic groups are able to get their literature into prison and target those people. And I think we need to find ways to support them. There are people in prison who face daunting problems on contemplating returning back into society. There are others who actually they just need a friendly face. And there's others who need to hear of Jesus. How are we going to support them? So I ask the question again, what does living a life of justice look like? Thank you. Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Bud Beach. I have a, uh, had quite an experience a week ago Saturday that I'd like to share with all of you that bears on this whole topic. Um, recently, I've started praying. Um, my early morning prayer and devotions, and I always pray now, Lord, what would you have me do today? And I pray that when you give me the opportunity, Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you give me the proper words and responses. Well, a week ago Saturday morning, I felt 
compelled to go for a hike on the Farmington River up in Unionville, about a mile and a half or so stretch. Um, and as I walked along the path, there were people coming and going. I happened to walk by a gentleman, and, and I felt like I needed to talk to this, this guy. Um, that something, something was just compelling me. And I continued to walk down to, to where I, my turnaround point. And as I came back, he was in front of me, uh, walking in, in the same direction. He got ahead of me a little bit, crossed over a bridge, and sat down on a wooden bench. And as I walked by him, I happened to have my army hat on, and, uh, and he commented on it. And as I usually do with many people, as, you know, I'm, I'm quite friendly and outgoing. And I said, you know, and how are you today? And to which he responded, I'm not doing well at all. I'm in trouble. And I said, well, I happen to be a minister. Would you mind if I sit down with you? And he said, that'd be okay. And he moved over. Well, within the next two minutes, I learned that this man, he started quivering, his lips started quivering, and he started crying. And I found out that he was both suicidal and homicidal. And that he was turning away, had turned away from God. He said, I want nothing to do with God. He was vocal. Now, there are people walking by. And he was vocal with his arms, with his language. And, and I thought, I just told him, a minister, I could be in trouble here. And, uh, and it would have been quite easy to walk away, but I didn't. And I powered through it. And I, I ended up spending about an hour on the bench with this gentleman. And I let him talk. And he shared all kinds of things in his life. He was... He had worked for over 20 years working with people in addictions, and he felt like God had abandoned him, and he was ready to take vengeance. He said, I'm going over to the other side now, and he said, I'm going to be good at it. I'm going to take vengeance on people and, and hurt people, and then he said, I'm going to jump off a building, and I continued to, to I asked him questions about his life. And when the timing was appropriate, I started sharing situations in my life that enabled me to empathize with him and to relate, to be relatable to him. And through the course of that hour, I started seeing some changes, transformation in his demeanor. And he, he shared with me a couple experiences he had where, with, uh, where he was visited, he said, by the Archangel Michael, who he always went to for strength. And, but he said, I've given up on God. And by the end of about an hour of talking with this gentleman and sharing, starting to share more and more of my life story with him, he warmed up. And I said, and his name was Mike. And I said, Mike, would you mind if I pray for you? And there were people walking by. And so, I, but I, I still, I went to prayer with him, and he allowed me to do this. 
And so I prayed with the man, and I prayed for a little while. And the most amazing thing happened, because when I was finished, he said, Bud, can I pray for you? And he lifted his hands up, and he started praying for me. And I thought, what a transformation. This man was giving up on God one hour ago. And here, here he's praying for me now. And uh, it's amazing. You know, I, I highlighted some things in your notes, Eric, this week. You know, a human life matters. And something else you noted, sin is, is rebellion against God, which he had done. He was rebelling. He had turned away and vocally. And I mean, he was vocal. He was, he was angry. He was upset. Um, but as it says here, but Jesus offers us forgiveness of sins and a new heart in his Holy Spirit to empower us to do what is right. And you can trust in Jesus and follow him in laying down your life, loving your neighbor, and working for justice in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I thought back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Somebody doesn't have to be physically beaten down and broken. There are people all around us who are broken in many ways. But we have to have the, we have to be connected and let the Holy Spirit speak to us and be willing and be able to hear that voice when we're called to do something, to reach out to somebody. Because as it says here, you know, the parable of Good Samaritan, be, being willing to inconvenience yourself, to risk your own safety and bear the cost for anyone who is in need. And then there were a few other things. I was reminded of the, the fruits of the Spirit and then to speak the truth in love with the goal of restoration. And I saw restoration in this man. Not only was I able to spend about an hour talking with him and praying with him, but then we got up and we walked for 15, 20 minutes together and shared all kinds of things. And I, I, we, talked, we had talked about Daniel in the lion's den. We had talked about Paul. Um, and, but what, by the time we left this bench after he had finished praying for me, the man was smiling again. He had hope. He had hoped that somebody would come to him. And that someone was me. Only because I was responsive to that leading. And it says here, also in your notes, Eric, um, God identifies with the poor, the outcast, and the suffering. And how you treat them is, is how you treat him. The more clearly you understand the gospel, the more you will get past fear and, the, and be able to act with compassion towards those in need. We know that suffering is not meaningless, but can be redeemed. So I would encourage all of you to seek out every day the Holy Spirit and, and be willing to listen for that voice that, that guides you to somebody. And people are all around us who are in need. And we don't know how severe that need is until we ask and we get personal with them and be willing to step out of our comfort zone.
And so I, I pray for each of you that you're willing to do that to make a difference in the world around us. Thank you. Hello. Um, I just got a little nervous. <laughs> okay. Um, so I just wanted to share a moment in my life when, like Pastor Eric shared, um, kind of the culmination or the pinnacle of justice is being loving to everyone um, and just sacrificing yourself and laying yourself down. And so this was like my junior year in high school, in college. Um, and there was just a kid that I saw in my class, and he just kind of seemed lonely all the time. And, you know, I had my friend group and whatever. So, you know, I just decided to start sitting next to him and trying to befriend him in whatever way I could. And, you know, he didn't sit near my friends. So, you know, sometimes it felt like, you know, I'm kind of abandoning my friends and um, not being close, you know, not being close to them. And, you know, one day I thought, this, this just feels like a pointless, like, friendship, like, I keep trying, but it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. And, you know, God encouraged me to just keep going and um, to keep showing him love. And there was one day we were, you know, we grabbed lunch and we sat down and he, he, you know, he started opening up to me. Um, One of the things he shared was, you know, I transferred here and... All the friends I've made or tried to make, it just felt like they were using me. Like, you know, we would study together. You know, I, I went to a big school, like 50,000 people. And a lot of times, like, the friends that you make in a semester or in a class, you know, you won't have them, you know, keep on de- developing that friendship. So he just felt really alone. And he said, you know, you're the first person that really, you know, felt genuine and um, went out of their way just to build that friendship with them. And, yeah, so he opened up to me about that and then also, like, his walk with God and stuff like that, so I was able to encourage him in that way. So that was just a time when I was able to follow the lead of God and uh, try to be a friend to someone, and, and God notices that. So just my encouragement to everyone is, you know, when you see someone kind of, like, the person who was, uh, who was on the ground, uh, he was beaten. The, the parable that Jesus showed uh, um, to the Pharisees, you know, the Pharisees walked away. They, had, they were too busy or whatever it was. Um, but you can be that person who shows love. Um, yeah, so...
Hi, it's Sally. The one who always comes up here and tries to talk, and sometimes it comes out and sometimes it doesn't, but just bear with me. Um, I work at a, the Portland um, local grocery store, and um, it's a way that helps me to talk all the time so that I can talk. And um, when I really began to focus more because of your great message, um, that I began asking God to give me opportunities each day for me to be able to hear the Holy Spirit, to actually respond and not just think about it and let them keep going. And I have been able to pray hands on hands with five people at my store. And I have to tell you that there is so much joy that provides to you when you actually are willing to take those risks. And I want to encourage you to do that because you can feel the joy from God that shares to you when you really think about the people around you um, and acknowledge that they really matter and that God loves them and that as whatever's happening, that specific thing that they're complaining about or very upset about or they're very afraid of, that, that, they, that you care about them and that God cares about this and that you're willing to pray for these specific things that, because those things do matter, that they're not just, um, well, everybody goes through this, you know? Um, so I just wanna encourage you to do that because I know that you all have that empowering in you because you have the Holy Spirit, which is such a gift. And part of what we're seeing around us that seems so cold are those the people who have no Holy Spirit. And I just wanted to, to give you all a big hug and say you have this to give this to other people. So my name is Eddie Alexander, my wife is Jan, and we are very much throwbacks from the past. And it's wonderful to see so many of you, some from the very beginning. You look great. It's just that we're 30 years older, that's the problem. And lots of new people, and it's wonderful to see you. Uh, we live in New Jersey now. There must be somebody here from New Jersey. There's always... Brother out there from New Jersey, okay. And uh, we worship at a church called um, Cornerstone Christian. And we, we struggle with this issue of justice ourselves. Who doesn't, actually, uh, given what's been going on in the last few months? Uh, and it's not just a racial issue either. Eric has, Pastor Eric has brought this out very clearly. It's a lot more than that. The sister who just shared here, uh, as we were coming up in, in the car on the Merritt Parkway, uh, we were listening to Billy Graham, the Billy Graham channel, and he has a wonderful way of making things very clear. In a world 
nowadays, which is not clear. Let's face it, it's all fuzzy. But his, his uh, statement that really caught me as being really good was saying, well, you know, God actually gave us ten commands, not ten suggestions, ten commands. And I think that goes to the, uh, not just to the, the, the ten commandments, but to, this, to the fact that the, the word of God is the solution that's what we need to be into, and that's where um, it all starts. And I'm really delighted to, uh, to be able to read uh, Pastor Eric's epistles, which I read every, every week. Uh, he has a great way of words, a great way of framing issues and relating the Word of God to them. So you're blessed. You're blessed to have him. Um, the last thing I wanted to... Related to what the sister says, the, ju- the justice issue is so big that we sit there and wonder, well, what, what can I do about it? Actually, I was feeling great uh, until Eric started talking about this. And I thought to myself, gee, I, I, I just got myself a, I thought I really must do something about climate change. And I just got myself a, a hybrid vehicle, which uh, is very low on particulate emissions and it gets 50 to 60 miles to the gallon. I thought, this is great. I've done my thing on climate change. No, you haven't. <laughs> You've just started. Um, I've just started. And, and you need, this is a justice thing. You need to be on it all the time. But the, word, the other word from Billy Graham, and he always has people of our vintage, he's great. And his word this morning was one that I think... I'd like to share with you. It's about being daring. He was talking about being daring in your faith. Um, and since your focus right now is justice, maybe the challenge there is to be daring in the way that you deal with justice. After all, it took courage for the sister over here to, to say what she did, for the gentleman to say what he did, And it takes some daring to get into the justice issue because it gets very hot at times, doesn't it? It gets very hot. So that's the word I'd like to believe that uh, I have for you. Be daring in your faith. Be daring in your walk for the Lord. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who shared and was courageous in getting up there. I'm sure there's many others of you who have things that you'd want to share. I encourage you as you spend time together after the service, be willing to ask each other what's something that for you.